Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Uh, skills, life skills are important, right? Life skills make life work well. In this case, you know, knowing how to, you know, jump a battery, it doesn't just help you, like, kind of get your car back on the road. It can maybe help you catch a girl. I was uh, in college, so don't picture the 40-year-old me. This will sound creepy. The 19-year-old me when I was single was driving in this parking lot at BGSU, and I saw a damsel in distress. She was by her car, and she seemed stranded. Now, this is before everyone had a cell phone, so you couldn't just assume that she was able to call somebody and just get help. So I pulled over, I rolled my window down. Hey, do you need help? She said, yeah, I think my battery is, you know, dead. I said, well, I'd be glad to jump your car for you. And so I kind of pull like right next to her. I have her popper hood, I pop my hood. You know, I get my jumper cables, which I had never used before. I get my jumper cables out of my car. I put them on the batteries. I say, start your car. I start my car. Two minutes later, the jumper cables are melting on the ground. I somehow get it off without actually shocking myself or killing everybody. And let's just say her battery was still dead and I didn't get her phone number. (laughs) To quote Napoleon Dynamite, girls went guys with skills. And so... Skills, right? They make life work for you in so many different ways. And scripture is not unaware of this. God is not unaware of this. He wants us to have skills for life. It's called wisdom. Wisdom is skill for life. And over the next two weeks, myself and Robert are going to kind of take a pause from the series of the way. We'll pick that up in a couple weeks later in March. And we're just going to take a look at the first chapter of Proverbs and talk about how do we live life well that God gave us principles, he gave us understanding, he gave us access to knowledge of how God, of how the world works, how he works, and how it is that we can apply biblical understanding to our daily life, that we can have his life, that life can work well for us. Today's big idea is this, pretty simple, straightforward. The life well lived must be learned and applied within the boundaries set by God. The life well-lived must be learned and applied within the boundaries set by God. So today, our focus is going to be actually what kind of choices and actions do we make? And what is that path that we travel down that God has given us to travel? Next week, Robert is going to take a look at, in the context of community, how do we learn from one another? How is it that we pass along, just like Michael Scott, how do we pass along from one generation to the next the wisdom and principles that are found in Scripture? So we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Let's go ahead and read that together. It'll be on the screen for you if you don't have your uh, Bible in front of you. It goes like this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Solomon writes, To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in, white, in wise dealings, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
So Solomon is writing to his offspring because he wants to prepare them for their duties in life. They're going to be rulers over God's people. And he has collected in the Proverbs a bunch of sayings, not just Israel, you know, Israel sayings, but actually he's collected sayings from other uh, uh, nations around him. And he's compiled a list of, of wisdom for his offspring that he can then train them on how to rule over God's people. Well, that's kind of the question that we're asking ourselves here when we begin to look at principles and understanding. The question is, what life are we training to live? What life are we being trained to live? Parents who have children, what life are you training your children to live? This, the answer to this question says a lot about the type of information, the type of skills and wisdom we want to pass down from one generation to the next, and the type of wisdom and learning that we want to take on ourselves. Uh, the school was called the Agoge. It was the Spartan warrior training school. Uh, if you know anything about the Spartan warriors, actually my high school was the Spartan mascots. So the Spartan warriors were like the most fierce, one of the most fierce armies in all of the ancient world. Highly disciplined, very well trained, and known for being able to defeat bigger, larger armies better than themselves. And they were, they were committed to training every male to fight and to be the best warrior within their army. It started at, at, at birth. Any male that was born with some sort of uh, uh, deform or defect who didn't seem healthy was killed. They only allowed the healthiest to live. You then got to live with your parents until the age of seven, and then mothers, the Spartans came and took your child from your home and began to train them at the age of seven. Their training encompasses all kinds of different things in order to prepare them for a life of being a warrior. Of course, there was highly competitive uh, games that they played where they would, you know, celebrate acts of valor, courage, and leadership, and obviously athleticism. They also, they didn't bathe in order to leather their skin. They didn't have shoes in order to make their feet tough. And then they also wanted to instill in these young boys, these growing men, these warriors, uh, a craftiness, a cunningness, a resourcefulness to be able to, in any situation, to be able to know what to do in order to survive or to win. So what they would do is that they would give or feed these boys meager diets so that it would encourage them to steal. Now, they didn't promote stealing, but because they were so hungry, they would have to then go and steal. And if they were caught stealing, they would be beaten. So what does a boy learn? He learns how to steal without getting caught. So that when you're in the midst of war and your sword breaks, what do you do? You're in the wilderness and you're out of food. What do you do? You become resourceful. And the Spartans were great at training all of their young men to become elite warriors. Well, what are we training for in our society? What are we training our youth in? What are we being trained for? I mean, I think that we could probably articulate this in a lot of different ways. I think one way that might get us pretty close to the center is that we are being trained for a life of happiness. Probably if you ask most people, what does God want for your life? God wants me to be happy. If you ask someone, anyone on the streets, you know, what do you want out of life? I want to be happy. We are being trained for a life of happiness. However you might define that, however we might define that, your life is about your personal happiness, your personal self-satisfaction and self-fulfillment. And we presume 
that that's what life is about, personal happiness. But is it? I think of this Jerry Maguire quote where he said, hey, we live in a cynical world. Tom Cruise in the movie Jerry Maguire said, we live in a cynical world, and we do. We question a lot of things, but sometimes we don't question the right things. And oftentimes, the purpose that our society has given us for our life, we don't really question it very much. That sounds great, of course. If God is loving, he must want me to be happy, right? But we don't find that in Scripture. We don't find that in Scripture. In Romans, Paul writes, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may test, but that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't presume that the world's target for your life is a target that God has created you for, but rather, I rather learn how to discern God's will. That is the goal of your life, to fulfill God's will. That's the goal of your life. And we can, this sermon is not about God's will specifically, but we could unpack that, but it includes things like being renewed, remade into his image. It includes worship of him. It includes glorifying him. It includes being a servant to him. It includes a lot of those types of things. But your life is not about personal happiness. It is about fulfilling God's will. You see, God's offer to you is a life of holiness, not a life of happiness. God's offer to you is a life of holiness, not a life of happiness. Now, a holy life is a whole life. It's a healthy life. And in the scriptures, it does talk about our personal joy, blessing. We see promise over and over in scripture, if we obey his commands, we will be blessed. We will be full of life. But that comes as a positive consequence to right training and right living. It's not the goal. Joy is not the goal. The blessing is not the goal. The goal is God and fulfilling his will. So as Solomon is, Solomon is training his youth, he is talking about, hey, God wants you, all right, God has made you to fulfill his will, and that is what I'm going to train you to do. And there's three dealings that he talks about here. Righteousness, justice, and equity. Now these are big words that we all, that we're all about. Not just us, but our world is about. Our world is about right living. How, do you, how are you supposed to live your life right? Our world is about justice. We're about justice, right? Our world is about equity, equality. We're about that as well. Solomon puts these three big words out that we all can agree on. Life is about these things. Have any of you ever had something stolen from you? By show of hands, anyone had something stolen? A lot of us, yeah, and online, probably, you know, in your living room, like, raising, yeah, like, I've had, some, I've had some, I've had lots of different things stolen from me. I've had several bikes stolen from me. I used to be really big into uh, road biking. Um, I had this one bike that I really, really loved, and foolishly, I, like, locked it up on campus at BGSU, thinking that no one would actually come across with, like, wire cutters and cut my lock and then take my bike, but they did, and it was an expensive bike. And my loss, the way I felt was more than just losing a bike that I really liked. I felt embarrassed. I felt ashamed. You know, I felt belittled. I felt disrespected because life isn't just about the stuff, right? Righteousness, justice, equity, these things are about, about what the good life really is about. That if it's mine, I should be able to put it on campus without it being locked. 
because anyone walking by it, it doesn't belong to you, you shouldn't touch it. But we don't live in a world like that, right? Not everyone acts rightly. Justice, when something's taken from us, you know, we call the insurance company, hey, can you replace my bike? I need it, you know, I need it given back to me. Equality. Equality really has to do with like this idea of living a peaceable life, being able to be able to have access so that you can live a life to make it to make it work, to make it run well. Okay? Now, if our goal is happiness, righteousness, justice, and equity mean something different. The definitions of those words are warped when we think that the target is personal happiness as opposed to God's will. Righteousness and personal happiness means whatever you feel good about doing, you do that thing. If it makes you feel good to be a generous moral person, we'll cheer you on. And if some of your morals get in the way of your personal fulfillment or pleasure-seeking in the moment, well, you can put those to the side. It's not a big deal, as long as you're happy. Righteousness is a thing that we kind of take on and put off based on the circumstance. Justice. Justice, if it's about personal happiness, justice is about what can I get back now in this life? How can what is wrong be made right and corrected now? And how can I be assured that I won't be wronged in the future? Because it's ruining my happiness right now. Equity, equality. How can we level the playing field? How can we widen it so that whatever you want to pursue, you can pursue? Now, we all want to pursue different things. Some of us maybe want to pursue money. I want to be wealthy, right? And maybe there's 50 of us here that are like, hey, I want to live a luxurious life. I want to own a yacht. That's my life's goal, right? And if it's your life's goal, then there ought to be a path that we can walk down in order to own a yacht. But some of you are like, man, I don't really want to own a yacht. I just want to have like meaningful work. And those of us who say, I want a life of meaningful work, well, then we ought to level that playing field so that all of us can have meaningful work. And we could talk about this in a lot of different ways, but if the goal is personal happiness, then those words begin to mean something different. But in the context of the kingdom of God, righteousness, justice, and equity are quite different. They mean something quite different. Righteousness is about God's standard. It's about God's commandments. It's about his order. Righteousness is my ability to live up into that right order, under those commandments, fulfilling those things in my life. Justice doesn't become about me getting justice in my life. It becomes about me trusting that God will give me justice in places that I've been wronged. That what I've lost, that he'll repay. And when he says in scripture, is that he oftentimes repays these things in eternity. When he finally comes again on that day of judgment, will he'll right all wrongs. But we're not in that place. But if I'm seeking personal happiness today, it seems unfair if I don't get it repaid in this lifetime. But that's not what God has promised. He also promises to not give us the justice we deserve for our personal moral failures. Because Jesus stepped in. And rather than enacting justice upon you for your choices, God puts those on Christ. And Christ is the one who becomes the one who is the justice maker. Equity 
doesn't have to do with getting whatever you want or all of us living the same life. It has to do with the fact that God has made you different and you different and you different and those online, you different. You're made and formed in a certain way. You're fashioned a certain way with gifts, abilities, a gender, whatever it is. God has made you how he's made you. And equity is about you being able to fulfill God's purposes in your life. And that's very different than getting just what you want. We could talk a lot about this, but all I want to point out is that we don't know. We don't know unless we approach the scriptures and come and know. There's this great African proverb that goes like this, a wise person never knows all, only fools know everything. And we, <laughs> we presume because we've taken in Fox News and CNN and social media and all the media that we have that we know just, we don't know justice. We don't know equity. We don't know righteousness. Unless we are coming to the scriptures and saying, God, teach me what these things are. I want them in my life. I want them in our society. I want them in our church, but I don't know. Teach me. But we spend more of our time learning about these very important things from other sources. What? With the goal of personal happiness. Not the goal of fulfilling God's will on this earth, of bringing his kingdom to bear here. And so it takes us being humble and admitting that we don't know. And you know what he promises here, Solomon? He gives prudence to the simple. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room in order to live a wise life. And he even says those that are wise continue to learn under the instruction of God of how it is that righteousness and justice and equity are to be mediated out in this world, in our life, in our church. So, what does this actually look like? So how do we begin to actually make choices, live a life, all right, heading in the direction of fulfilling God's will? So there's two things here in verse seven that I think are very helpful in regards to being, being able to consider my own choices and if they are heading down that path of fulfilling God's will, all right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the one the life, the life of wisdom is hemmed in by the right fear. The life of wisdom is hemmed in by the right fear. Our fears, all right, it's, it's kind of like, you know, like the runway on like an airplane that's trying to land, right? And you've got like those markers, the lights that kind of say, hey, here's how wide the runway is. Here's where it is. Fears kind of mark out the path that we can travel down. They give us boundaries, okay? Cameron didn't have the right fear, Cameron didn't have the right fear. I was uh, a camp counselor at a summer camp um, in high school and actually worked at the high ropes course. And so it was really kind of cool. My summer job was like put people up a rock climbing wall, send them down a zip line. We had this giant, huge metal swing that went out like over this like pond. It was like pretty awesome. I love that summer job. Uh, and so on our zip line though, particularly, you kind of, you know, climb up this telephone pole about 40 feet and there was like a platform, a real short, small, flat platform that you stood on all right, as, as the skilled person in this sense, I knew how to switch the carabiners over, right, with your harness and get you hooked up in the zip line so you can ride down the zip line. And it was like right through the middle of the woods of our camp. It was like really fun, uh, really beautiful. Um, I, I really enjoyed being able to send people down these things. So, but we're, when we're on the platform, hey, we've got a couple of things that are gonna make this, this ride fun for you. And if you don't listen to these things, it's gonna make it really not fun really quickly. 
And so, you know, we would stoop down just like this, have the person kind of sit here, and we're like, hey, just kind of step right off the platform this way, head right down the zip line right there. You know, you're going to be fine. Don't go to the right. Don't go to the left. Don't jump off. Just sort of lean forward and go right on it. It was that simple, right? It wasn't that, all that hard, right? Cameron, Cameron was a camp counselor who, he was a ham. He liked attention. And he had about 40 of his camper boys looking at him, cheering him on as he was on top of this platform. He gets up. We switch his carabiner. Before we even get through, like, kind of saying our spiel, Cameron says, look at this, guys, and he jumps off to the right side of the platform. Well, he's 6'5", and he's swaying back and forth, and for about 3.2 seconds, he was having the time of his life until he hit a tree. It ruined the zipline experience for him. I promise you it did. Broke his leg in two places. It, like, he couldn't be a counsel like the rest of the summer, and you're like, it wasn't that hard to enjoy the ride, right? But Cameron didn't wasn't afraid of the trees. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid of what he didn't know or didn't understand. What he was afraid of is that somehow his camp counselors might not think he's awesome. Now I got to make sure my camp counselor, my uh, my campers think I'm like the coolest, right? And in this moment, he just jumps off the side and he regretted it, right? And that's what life can be like when we don't have the right fear. When we don't have the right fear, we just kind of do whatever. We don't realize that that by making that choice, we very well could be leading down a path where we cause pain and suffering in our own life. I think of it like bowling. Bowling's a fun game, right? It's a fun sport. Um, I'm not particularly that good at it, but I do know this. If you get your ball down the lane and not in the gutter, you can hit pins. And when you hit pins, it makes bowling fun. And fear... Fear, like I said, it kind of marks out, like, what, how wide is that lane? Where is it at? And you know, some of you are like, I'm a straight ball. I, I bowl the straight ball. Some of you guys can get the hook going on, you know, whatever. However it is, you can hook this thing. You can bolt straight. You can go to the right and have a curve into the lane. It doesn't matter. As long as you stay within the lane, you're going to hit those pins, and it's going to be, like, awesome. It's going to be fun. And if you don't, if you get them in the gutters, well, you're going to have a long bowling game, I guess. Fear of God allows us to understand, hey, here's the boundaries. Here's, here's, here's how it is that I apply biblical principles to my life. Here's the actions and choices that I can make that keep me within that lane so that I can fulfill God's will in my life. But we have two problems. Number one, we can overfear. This is where we perceive God to be someone that he's not. We're more afraid of him than we really ought to be. And so all of a sudden, that lane, that path becomes real narrow. And we're afraid, overly afraid, of falling into the gutter. And so we live this narrow Christian life, afraid that I might slightly step to the left, the right, and be the gutter, and I'm going to just, the will of God is going to elude my life. You know, I did college ministry for a long time. I sat with a lot of young adults who were like, man, what, what job should I go after, after I graduate college? And they were so afraid, if I don't make the right choice of all these options, like, I'm going to miss God's purpose in my life. And it's like, do you not think if somehow it's true that you make the wrong decision, God's not big enough to, like, overcorrect your mistake? I think he is, you know? And so sometimes we overly fear. We're afraid that, man, if I make just the wrong mistake, it's done. It's, I, I, you know, I'm going to miss out on all that God has for me. Well, the thing is, if we know God, if we know God, we understand his love, 
his mercy, his grace, as well as his justice and his truth, then we can appropriately see that that path is actually quite wide. The other way is that we fear the wrong things. And we actually head down a different life trajectory. Do you think about the things that you're afraid of? Because the things that you're afraid of is pointing you towards the goal of life. Some of us, we are afraid of pain and suffering. We're, we're afraid of loss. We've been hurt, we don't want to be hurt again, and so I think the purpose in life is to not be hurt. That's what I'm afraid of. Now all of a sudden I'm heading down the life of safety. I think God's will for my life is that I should be safe. Some of us are like, man, I grew up out without much. I, I really want to be able to have access to all of my wants. If I can have access to my wants, I'll live a good life. And so we perceive we're afraid that we won't get what we want out of life. And so our life becomes about living a life of luxury. And there can be all these alternative paths that we decide to like travel down because we don't realize what we're actually really afraid of. Are you actually afraid of the Lord? That's why he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because that fear of God helps me see the path that I'm to walk down. One of the reasons that I was motivated to learn about God when I was 18, because I didn't care up to that point when I was 18, was that I was like, man, there's probably a good life out there, and if there's a good life, God probably knows it. I should probably figure out if God's real, and if he's real, he probably knows what that good life is. And that's what compelled me to journey towards Jesus, because I just had the sense of he has more wisdom than me. That's the fear of the Lord. If I miss, that, if I miss God, I'm going to miss it all. But man, if I can get God right, I think I'm going to be probably on a good path. So the life of wisdom is hemmed in by the right fear. The life of wisdom applies biblical understanding with shrewdness. The life of wisdom applies biblical understanding with shrewdness. That means adeptness with skill, with masterfulness. Think of a drill sergeant, right? A drill sergeant who kind of has trained his army, all right, he has certain principles and tactics and strategies he's using to, to get these men and women fit for battle. Now, if he just kind of takes those same principles and just sort of applies them to his family, he's probably not going to have success, right? And we probably know plenty of, of plenty of army, army officers who have tried or attempted to do that. You might have a principle that can be applied in both places, but context is everything. And that's shrewdness, learning how it is that we apply these things to our life based on the situation, based on our season of life, based on our relationships and what's going on. The Bible isn't just, hey, do this, do this, and it's this formula. No, here's a principle. Now, learn and discern God's will and apply it to your context. Apply it to the relationship. Apply it to your position or your role in life. And this is where there's beautiful creativity for us to be able to learn how to implement the scriptures into our life and this experience flourishing. Let's do this for fun. All right, do this for fun. I'm going to go to chapter 28. I'm going to pick some different verses. I'm going to read the verse, and let's just sort of wonder out loud what does this look like. Now, I'm not trying to say that this, it's exactly like this. We're just trying to be creative here in this moment, all right, in the sermon. All right, chapter 28, verse 19. Whoever works his land or her land will have plenty of bread. But the person who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. 
Okay, let's think about that one. The person who works their land will have plenty of bread. The person who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Let's talk first to you, college students. What does this mean for you? What is your land? You're a student. You're to study. You're to get good grades. You're to prepare yourself for a future career. That's your land. That's your focus. That's your responsibility. And oftentimes, students can get caught up in hours of gaming, partying, having fun, the social life. Is there anything wrong with the social life? Absolutely not. Is there anything wrong with video games? No. But first, you've got to work your land. First, you've got to study. First, you've got to put the time in. That's your land. And if you work your land, God says you're going to have bread. If you ignore your land, you're going to have poverty. Let's talk about you, 25-year-old. You just got a job. You realized it's not everything that you wanted it to be. It's harder than you thought it would. Your boss isn't as cool as you hoped that they would be. You went out. Your friend has a brand new job in Denver that sounds super cool, and you're like, man, if I only had that job in Denver, I wouldn't be in misery at my job right here. And so what do we do? In our mind, we're like, what's the way out? If I can just get that job in Denver, it'll be so good for me. And so what do we do? We ignore being a good worker in the place that we're at. We show up late to meetings. We do half-hearted work. We don't hit our deadlines. And what does the scripture say? Work your land. You have a job. They're paying you. Do it. Show up on time. Do that thing. Can you look for other jobs? Totally. Do you have to stay where you're at forever? Not at all. But what's our focus? Dreaming and fantasy or no? I've got responsibilities. Baby boomer, you're retiring. You've spent this life building up this career, you're letting the career go into the next phase of your life. What does this mean for you? Are you retiring from all areas of life, from all responsibilities? Does retirement from work mean retirement from church, work, and service? Does retirement from work mean retirement from community engagement? I don't think the scriptures say so. Does retirement not mean doing the best of your ability to be the best grandpa or grandma that you can? to help be part of training your grandchildren for their future life? I think the scriptures have, have something to say with you. Is there anything wrong with golfing? No. But golfing isn't it. You have a land that God wants you to work. All right, that was fun. Let's try another one. Are you having fun with this? I'm having fun with this. All right. Whoever rebukes a person will afterward find more favor than the person who flatters with their tongue. Whoever rebukes a person will afterward find more favor than one who flatters with a tongue. Man, we're just a couple verses later. Recovering people pleaser right here. What can I say to make you like me more? What can I make you say so that you have good vibes towards me rather than telling you the truth? What's really helpful? The fact is, is that if we want wisdom, we need the honest input from other people. And when we see something in someone else's life, we need to call it out. We need to speak the truth that we see in their life. We need to see where their life isn't matching up to Scripture. I was talking to a young man, this is years ago, a young man, we were in a small Bible study, and this guy, he wasn't getting drunk on the weekends, but man, he was really close. And the way he was talking, he was very comfortable with the amount of alcohol that he was consuming on the weekend. I said in front of all these guys, I said, you're playing with fire and it's going to burn you. 
That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But I love him. I want his best. And I know in scripture, well, I couldn't come here and say, man, two drinks is too much. I said, you are loosely playing with the pleasures of life. And you're going to find yourself heading down this path that I don't think you want to go. He was grateful for me calling him out. I did it in love. I did it for his best. Now, when we rebuke, we do it with truth and in love, truth and grace. Grace without truth is uh, it's just flattery. Grace without truth is not really grace. It's just flattering you, saying nice things to make you feel good about yourself. Truth without grace is just mean-spirited. We have truth and grace. So we say these things in the, by the power of the Spirit, in the fruit of the Spirit, with love, joy, gentleness, kindness, self-control, for the betterment of other people. But man, we have got to speak the truth to one another. And if you're not going to speak the truth into their life, who is? If you see these things, if you're in their life. All right, let's try one more. A greedy person stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. A greedy person stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. What can we be greedy about? We can be greedy about money. We can be greedy for power. We can be greedy for control. We can be greedy for possessions. There's all sorts of things that we can be greedy for. We can be greedy for affirmation, for attention. And when I want to begin to ruffle people's feathers, what do I want? I'm after something. I'm greedy for something. Coach isn't playing my, my kid. I mean, my kid is the next, like, LeBron James, and he can't see it. I'm really upset. I can't wait to send that email. He's going ha- to know. So I'm going to pull my kid if he doesn't start playing, right? Strife. Now, can I go to the coach and say, hey, I'd like my kid to play more? Totally. But when I do it with a heart of strife, I'm greedy for something. Wife, when you approach your husband, he did that thing again. What's the attitude? Or are you greedy for him to just kind of check all of your boxes? Is that what you really want? Or are you trusting the Lord? You see, if I trust in God, if I trust in God, I don't have to control every person. If I trust in God, I don't have to control my boss. If I trust in God, I don't have to control the coach. I can trust that God has got a good plan for my child. When I have, and I'm finding my security in him, then I can have interchanges and exchanges with others without producing strife. But when we want strife, we're greedy for something. Dear friends, there's all kinds of ways that the scriptures fit your life. God wants to give you wisdom for today in this week. And the questions we have to ask ourselves, one, what life are you training for? Are you training for a life to fulfill God's will? Or are you pursuing the pursuits of the world? Secondly, do you have the humility to admit that you don't know unless you come to God and learn? Unless you come to the Lord and say, teach me your ways. Help me understand righteousness and justice and equity. I don't know what these things mean unless you tell me. And thirdly, are we willing to put into action with discipline the principles of Scripture 
and then trust that from that comes a blessed life. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.